Welcome to our podcast. Talk to me, sister. I'm Kathy. And I am Sarah. And we are twin sisters documenting our surrogacy journey, discussing women's health, motherhood, and all the details that led us here. Our mission is to not only educate and inform, but to spread joy and hope through our story. Thanks for following along. Michelle Maros is Peaceful Mind, Peaceful Life's Editor-in-Chief and Creative Director. She has a degree in journalism from Indiana University and is also a certified holistic health coach through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and a registered yoga teacher. She currently teaches mindfulness tools to teens through the Barb Schmidt Fellowship for Cultivating Community Involvement, Activism, and Social Change. We also have Michelle's mom, Barb Schmidt, on the podcast today. Barb is a meditation teacher, author, mindfulness activist, and co-founder of Peaceful Mind, Peaceful Life. A practitioner of mindfulness and meditation for over 30 years, Barb is the author of the international best-selling book, The Practice, Simple Tools for Managing Stress, Finding Inner Peace, and Uncovering Happiness. Across all social media platforms, Peaceful Mind, Peaceful Life has over 8 million followers, inspiring people to love who they are and have the courage to live the life of their dreams. We can get started. We've got three major topics to cover. We're huge fans of you guys. Um, But before we dive into those specific topics, um, we want to get to know you guys individually and together a little bit and your backgrounds. Barb, we've heard you've had mentors and teachers like the Dalai Lama and Deepak Chopra. And I mean, our minds are blown. Um, also, we want to just touch on y'all's kind of history together and just kind of how you felt the passion and the drive to start Peaceful Mind, Peaceful Life and kind of like how that budded. Um, so you can both equally or together answer that question. Um, but what was like the driving force behind your mission and just like helping people and encouraging women? Oh gosh, I, I, it's a loaded I, question, but <laughs> well, I, cause I love, I love doing podcasts. I mean, I just love talking. As you can ask Ms. Yeah, I, love, us too. I love, I love to talk to you all day. I love conversations. Like, well, I have to try to figure out as Michelle would say less is more, but, um, I, I think, I have always been driven to find a way to um, like bring bring a sense of uh, peace because I use that word peace because I'm a product of the 60s. You know, I grew up in the Chicago area and the, the 60s riots and the, the 60s movement and all of that. And, you know, the death of, of, you know, all the leaders and all the things back in then. And Gandhi was still alive back then. So it was like, I was really enthralled with all that, but didn't know what to do with any of it because I had such a chaotic, dysfunctional, um, hard, hard childhood. And so it wasn't until I went into treatment for bulimia that I really started understanding because I was able to start to heal from all of the trauma and all of the craziness in my childhood. So it wasn't until then when I got out of treatment, you know, six weeks mm-hmm. in treatment is a long time that it I continue with therapy and continue doing all the things that I really realized um, that I wanted to figure out how do I, how do I actually 
because I was so excited about my own recovery and my own learnings about myself and all the things I wanted. I always wanted to share and give back. So I think I was always doing that. I founded, I founded several nonprofits. I started, I founded Ronald McDonald Children's Charities in 1986 and, and have founded several more nonprofits. So I always wanted to do that. But I think what led to Peace of Mind, Peaceful Life is my work studying with all of these great meditation masters and teachers um, and as my practice developed more and more and more, and I was getting more and more people asking me questions, and I was doing so many workshops and things here in Boca Raton yeah. community and at the university, somebody came up to me one day and said, would you write a book? And we wish you had a platform on social media, because I was not a social media yeah. person. And so talking with Michelle, you know, who is a social media person and a younger generation, we just started talking and um, brainstorming you know, names that we could think of. And I'm always about the mind. Everything I talk about is the mind mm -hmm. and about living our best life. So mm -hmm. amazing. So that's how Michelle got involved is you saying, Hey, what about this social media component? Is that what happened? Yeah, it was kind of serendipitous um, because she had been, been giving lectures or she'd been teaching meditation classes locally for decades. I mean, growing up, she always taught classes, you know, at the university here. And, you know, I went to college and I moved to cities and had jobs and things like that. And I ended up quitting my, um, my corporate job and really loved yoga. And so it's like, you know, I don't know what I want to do next, but I want to explore yoga. And I took a yoga teacher training in the meantime and kind of just to re rebalance myself. And in my yoga teacher training, um, my teacher started talking about meditation and, I, you know, went to my mom, I'm like, oh, I'm learning about meditation. She's like, thank you. I've been teaching that <laughs> your whole life. But now you're cool. yeah. um, and so it was at that same time that she was starting to think about starting the nonprofit and needed some help. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm free. So <laughs> let's do it. Seems like good timing. That's incredible. Yeah. It was very good timing. And you're, wow. you're an extraordinary writer and you have a journalism degree from Indiana University and just, it came together. I needed her expertise in social media, obviously, but also her writing skills. Um, I could write, yeah. I could work, work workshops and things, but I wasn't, I, this was going to actually go public and all of that on a bigger yeah. scale. So it was the perfect fit. Yeah. It's evident just following you guys on social media that you make such a great team but very much have like your own voices, which I so appreciate, but they intertwine so well. And like, it's like yin and yang. You guys are, um, mm -hmm. I screenshot like everything you guys do together. It speeds really well off each other. So you can tell. Thank you. I think yeah. for, for the listeners, one of the things I think why it has worked is as Michelle said, she took a yoga teacher training, came home and said, hey mom, I'm starting to learn how to meditate. And instead of me saying, let me teach you or let me show you, you know, like the door opened where I could actually step in and all along, I never said, Michelle, you need to meditate. I think allowing her to find her own path and allowing her to do her own thing. And I think you see that on social media too. Mm -hmm. You don't try to control each other in the message. We have the, we have the mission. We're always in alignment with the mission, but we don't control each other and how we present the, the, the message out. And I think that that's what's been a really key component. Don't you think Michelle that, we allow each other to be exactly who we are and it does come together nicely. And we, we aren't always in agreement, which is also a good thing because we have great conversations mm -hmm. about that. 
Yeah, that's so true. We know about that too. We do know about that. <laughs> we know one thing about that. <laughs> we agree on most everything, but there's some things yeah. that we're like, wait, yeah. wait a second. But it does come, it does uh, make for interesting conversation. And I think it's super real, which is along the line of what all of our missions are, is to not be really fake about that. Yeah, and it makes it relatable for different kinds of people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. one of, one of my one of my baselines in life, one of the real core missions that I have personally for myself, and what I think causes most of the disharmony and the unrest in the world is not understanding each other. We don't take mm-hmm. the time to understand each other. So I love our discussions because we always come from a place of I just really want to understand, you know, where you're coming from and what you're thinking, and vice versa. So I think it's it good conversation is always key. And it's so different on a business level than it is just on a personal mother daughter relationship. I'm sure. Yes. Well, for sure. So Michelle, was it, what was it like? People probably ask this question. It's probably hard to, you know, simplify it. How was it growing up with Barb as a mom? Was she always like this? Did you remember (laughs) noticing it at some point and going like, Oh, other moms are not meditating, (laughs) like aware of mindfulness. Like, we want to know about growing up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she's always been like this. Um, but I would say you started going on retreats and things like that. Um, like middle school to high school age, right? Is that timeline correct? Yeah, probably around. I think I went on my first, um, Deepak Chopra retreat, like 1990, you're about five or six. Oh, all right. But that was um, local. But that was local. That was like Tampa or across to Naples. So, but when I actually left the state, you were I, I was probably 90s. I went to the Thich Nhat Hanh retreat. So that would have been 96, 97, whatever age would be then. 96. Anyway. So yeah, she's always been this way. Um and and you know, it wasn't as common to to be meditating back then. You know, it was we would always kind of joke to her that, you know, she would go into her little room and put on her little sign that says, do not disturb. Like I'm meditating. And we'd be like, what are you doing back there? You know, cause it wasn't common, but you know, she would always come out very peaceful. Yeah. And so we were like, whatever you do, it's great. <laughs> um, Whatever's going on in there, we're down. <laughs> yeah. But it was definitely, it was definitely different. And I could see, you know, never to compare, but there was a, a contrast and you know, I, re- I even remember having a friend, you know, come over, sleep, like spend the night. And, you know, my mom was doing all this stuff in the morning and, and just being very like Zen and peaceful. And my friend was like, wow, like this is a very calm household. It's so different than mine. And so I just, I think I noticed the difference, but that was just the norm for, for her was to, to be meditating and to always kind of seeking inspiration or motivation um, and all of these different forms from all of these different teachers. So it was, it was very normal, but I also have to say like, you know, she never really tried to force it on me. I did go to on a retreat with her once in high school. <laughs> and then I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> Fine. Um, and she really let me have my own journey with it, which I think is important. It's right. So important. Kind of like what you guys were talking about. Well, yeah. And I was going to ask like how, how growing up in that environment impacted your beliefs and your practices now, but it does seem like you, you got to these things that you like, like yoga and meditation and on your own, right? Yeah. 
I mean, right. I, certainly with, with yoga, like I think I went to my first yoga class ever with my mom. She took me, you know, again, this is in such the early days of yoga even being a thing, but yeah, um, I, I always really liked yoga. I liked how I felt in the practices. And I also liked um, that I could be really present in the class and not worry about everything else that was going on in my life, you know, outside the room. And so it was a really helpful practice for me, you know, as I was going through different stages of life and different difficulties, because I would just go to yoga and I could like, you know, be centered at least for the whole class. So, um, so yeah, I, she, you know, influenced it for sure, but I, I did pick it up and, and yoga really became, I think yoga was like my, my gateway to it all because mm-hmm. I, I just noticed how better I, how much better I felt after yoga classes. And then I just wanted to keep learning kind of like her, you know, when she got out of treatment, she wanted to keep learning about meditation and learning about, you know, different ways to feel better within yourself. And, um, you know, I started with yoga and then I just wanted to keep learning more and more. And so that was kind of how we came together all those years later. It sounds like she normalized it for you because you're right. I mean, even in the past, what like three years meditation has become more but yeah and and even yoga it's like having it normalized in your household I'm sure was some building blocks for it well we loved we like we've talked about we love you guys working together and seeing your dynamic and I loved your recent post it was like two days ago or something about things you've learned from your mom oh yeah I love that so good good. my favorite I mean I love all of them because they're such good things to pass on to anybody uh, it makes me think like, what am I passing on to my daughter? I want her to know these things. And what I love was the one about being present. You said something about, you know, being present. Someone really knows if you're there or not, you know, there's different forms of presence. So I loved that. That's true. And that was something that really, I mean, is actually true. She did teach that and, and instilled that in me growing up, you know, even to a degree where I would be annoyed with her about it because we really had to do if we were doing one thing, we were doing one thing. When I started to learn how to drive, she was like, okay, you're going to learn to drive, but you can't listen to the radio while you're driving because you need to be focused on driving. And I was like, I'm 15, you know, (laughs) you know, listen to the radio. Um, and so that was, you know, instilled with me pretty early of just, if you're doing something, do it, especially when you're talking with people or with people, they can feel if you're not fully present with them. And, you know, if you're going to take the time to do anything, make sure you're in it and doing it with all of your energy. Yeah. Especially in the age of social media where people Mm -hmm. can be like scrolling and talking and things like that. It's like, you can really tell when someone's got, "Uh uh-huh, you know, (laughs) for sure. And it's, it's obviously that's changed a lot over the years where we're even more distracted and have so many more things at our fingertips that can make us do a hundred things at once. So it, it's a definitely a practice. I think that you have to be mindful in doing. Um, I love that so much. So we're going to talk about, Oh, I just want to interrupt one. If I could just yeah, say, please. I don't, but this is, I never want us. I never want this all to sound like that we're abnormal or that life wasn't difficult. It was, <laughs> we had the same dysfunction, craziness, Mm -hmm. arguing or difficulties probably that any other person listening to this talk would have. 
Um, when I got out of treatment, the first book that I read and the first person I really studied with for a long time was Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. And the first sentence is life is difficult. And well, then yeah. once, you, once you actually realize it's not difficult, once you actually realize that it is difficult, it no longer matters. And I, that's been the bedrock of my life from 1984 mm. onwards. And so I think what Michelle says is so beautiful. Yes, we, we had the, I had the foundation of all of this and tried to instill the foundation of all this in her growing up, but it doesn't mean that we didn't experience all the same difficulties oh, that yeah. presented our way. Yeah. Life oh, yeah. is difficult. We had major, major difficulties. And when I look back mm -hmm. on life, I think, wow, having a foundation of knowing that everything comes from the inside out and that I can't control the outside, I can only control my response to it, has mm -hmm. made all the difference. Right, so it, it makes it easier. That's so true. I feel like that nugget of truth is, is so timeless, no matter what era you're in. Yeah. And we're going to talk about relationships in a second, but being present and kind of being centered and that, that goes for relationships, business, no matter what era you're in. So I love that so much. Um, well, I think too, I mean, it, it goes in relationships, but even anything else in life, I mean, she would always tell me, you know, you make mistakes when you're distracted. And so if you think multitasking yeah. is going to help you get more done, maybe you'll check things, more things off your list, but what's the likelihood of making mistakes or, you know, whatever. And I've noticed that that's true for me. If I'm trying to do too many things at once, something falls through the cracks. So it's like, might as well just be present to what you're doing. And, and ultimately it'll probably save more time in the long run. Mm -hmm. I, I love, love that. that. I think that so many people like prize themselves on doing so many things at one time too. So it's a reminder. Yeah. Slow down. Yeah. And oftentimes we're going to talk about anxiety next, but often, oftentimes this is a good segue when I feel like there's so much on my to-do list and I'm overwhelmed by it. My anxiety is heightened. And so if I can pull back and just be present on just like maybe a couple things versus 15 things, it helps me be more present on those certain things like Michelle was saying. So you can kind of attack those better, but also just eases my overall anxiety to understand that I don't have to do it all or do it all quickly. Um, so I think that's huge. Um, but let's talk about anxiety because that kind of is a good segue. I know that we're all coming from a hell of a year, um, but regardless of 2020, anxiety and depression has always been, you know, widely there, not necessarily widely understood or talked about. Um, I know I suffer from anxiety and certain things just with past traumas and Kathy and I always talk about um, kind of anxiety and trauma and just self-care and being mindful, which is exactly what your message is. So can you both give us some tips on not only just being in a post pandemic world right now, um, but just in general with anxiety, just tips on how to ease anxiety and stay kind of give that inner peace? I, I think as we, as we were talking about being present, people always ask me, and I think because of this pandemic and because anxiety is at an all time high, um, there's a couple of things that I've really tried to think about how to get the message across simpler um, because it's not easy. We're all, you're right. We all suffer from anxiety. I, I during this pandemic, I would wake up in the morning and, and it, it would, I would think, can I do this one more day? Yeah. And then this, you know, the, if, if the mind is a computer, let's say what we say to ourselves is the program of the computer. So I can say, yes, I can do this one more day. So it matters what we say to ourselves. So it's really got me thinking during this pandemic, 
the key to everything is really loving, accepting, and being kind to yourself. And we aren't, you know, mm -hmm. I was really reflecting back recently, trying to think of how to say this better because someone had asked me a question about anxiety and being present. You say being present, you say, oh, and so I, one of my greatest, really simple things about being present is one of my favorite teachers is the, the Buddhist master Thich Nhat Hanh. And he just says, be where your feet are. So if you're feeling anxious, we're feeling anxious because we want to be there, but we're here and we don't mm -hmm. want to be here. We, we want, we don't want what, what is happening with us to be happening. We don't mm -hmm. want it. We want to get out of it. And the idea of being at a, at a loss of being able to get out of it makes us even more anxious. We don't like what's happening to us in this moment, whatever it is, physically or mentally. Or, And so the idea of trying to just really be okay with your emotions and what you're feeling in the moment, like trying to be safe with them. And that's what meditation's taught me the most is being safe with the mm -hmm. trauma, the PTSD, the the all of the, the all of the all of the traumatic things that I endured in my childhood and just being okay you can you're you're safe you're okay so I think the biggest self-care thing that I can give people is that really to start being loving and caring and gentle with yourself you don't have to do everything on your to-do list and you can't and that's we're all like that like starting right. to normalize that we're human beings yeah we're not really any worse or any better than anyone else you are a human being. And so the minute you try, try to resist an emotion that's coming up, especially when you're anxious, and now this is not talking about extreme anxieties where people need um, you know, a little more help like I needed. <laughs> Why would yeah. I'm talking about just the anxious feeling that we get. Can I really help? Um, and I think it's really about, okay, Barbara, you can handle this. This is good. You've got everything you need. Just, just starting to talk to yourself more like you would a loving friend. Like what would you two sisters say to each other? Yeah, you, know, you, would, you would be you would be kind and calming and it's going to be okay. Tell me about it. I'm here for you. What's happening for you? I talk to myself like that all the time. Barb, mm -hmm. talk about it. What's happening for you? I talk like I'm another person inside of me <laughs> because we are. So I've right. tried to help people see that in a way that's a little bit more digestible and a little bit more easier to understand that anxiety is normal. Um, it's not going anywhere. We're always going to have bouts of, of anxiety from somewhere. And so starting to really treat yourself like a true loving, kind human being. And lately I've been reflecting on, I reflect on words of all the great masters of our ancient times. So lately I've been really looking at the words of Jesus. And when, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, it occurred to me, this is the first time I'm saying this out loud. And I don't think I've told you this, Michelle. It occurred to me in one of my meditations, no wonder People can't do that, you know, because I'm all mm -hmm. about let's have a peaceful world, a peaceful life, because they don't love themselves. So how can I love you as myself? Yeah. I don't even love myself. It just yeah. went off in my brain. No wonder that doesn't translate for most people. Yeah, that's really powerful. I had a friend who recently said something similar. She, like a therapist told her, like, like these words that you're saying, like you're you're being the biggest bully to yourself. Like, do you can you imagine saying that to other people? And yeah. so it's like that self-talk is so important because if we're bullying ourselves, oh, you're terrible at this. Oh, you're fat or you're whatever. Then of course it's like the, it's going to build up. But if we're positive to ourselves or if even like, you're like, and sometimes I self-sabotage my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm so anxious. This is only going to get worse. Yeah. I'm in a spiral. Yeah. And so I love what you just said, because even just talking, I'm, I'm like this because I internalize everything. 
So talking, even if no one really understands what I'm feeling, talking just helps me and kind of eases kind of what's going on inside. So I'm going to start talking to myself out loud. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to use that. I do People talk- think I'm crazy in the car, but. All the time. I talk to all the time. Yeah, we all are. What you resist and what you push away persists, that old, beautiful uh, quote. And it's true. If you try to deny it's happening, you try to push it away, you try to pretend like you're not feeling a certain mm-hmm. way, it is impossible to get through it. It's mm-hmm. going to manifest somewhere else in some kind of an illness. 70% mm-hmm. of all illness today is due to the mental capacities that we do to ourselves with the stress. Mm-hmm. And you just It's just being with who we are in the moment and being okay with it. Mm-hmm. Seriously, is, is, the, is the number one. And the way I do that is by talking to myself, talking myself through it. It, but it's got to make sure it's the right talk. Like we right. just said, you've got to make sure it's kind and loving and caring. Right. So pretend like you're talking to your best friend or your, your most treasured person on the planet. You pretend like you're being as loving and kind and compassionate. Because if you get into that self-talk of what you were just saying, um, being, being a bully and being yeah. unkind, and it, you're, you're in a rabbit hole that makes it worse. If you have been listening along to the pod, you know we love high quality vitamins that are worth your time and your money. Seeking Health vitamins are our favorite because they are not synthetic and they are easily absorbable. We have a new coupon code exclusive to our audience. It's 10% off your first order from seekinghealth.com. So use our code talk to me sister for 10% off. That's talk to with the number 2 me sister for 10% off. We will link all of this information in the show notes. Enjoy. I kind of personally have a harder time, like slowing down my thoughts. Like they're like, you know, so like Michelle, I would love to know from you if you have practical, I, you know, practical steps of doing what we're talking about right here of maybe of meditation or just affirmations kind of like slowing down to find during the anxious time yeah Kathy's always like I get more I I don't know how to meditate I'm like all of a sudden I'm more anxious I'm like you need you need to meditate you need to like sit quiet and she's like but I can't I try so no I think it's a good question and I think there's so many people who think that they can't meditate or that their minds are just wired differently but like my mom said, I, we like to think of the brain as a computer. And, you know, if you have a computer and you have a hundred tabs open, it's going to be slow and it's going to like, you know, make that crazy sound and not work right. And you have to close the tabs. And so meditation is kind of like the practice of closing the tabs in your brain. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, you might start with a hundred tabs open and that's going to kind of be difficult at first. And, you know, it's going to take a while, but I think just like with anything else, any practice that you do, if you're practicing, you know, a sport or an instrument or anything, you know, it starts and it's uncomfortable and you don't feel like you know what you're doing, but the more you do it and the more you make it a part of your, your life, it it gets more comfortable. But with meditation, it's not always easy because we're humans. And some days we have awful days where our minds are telling us awful stuff. And we're like, I I literally couldn't want to sit with myself less, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. But you do it because I think for me and and often what we talk about with meditation, you know, it's like checking in with yourself every day or tuning into yourself to see, okay, like what's up for me today? 
am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Okay. Like good to know because I can, you know, work from that awareness and take all, it's like collecting data. Um, but another tangible tool that I think is helpful that I've, um, practiced a lot, especially when I have thoughts that just can't escape my brain is journaling, um, which I know is kind of, we hear about it all the time and it's, you know, it's like, oh, it's like a diary, but yeah. you know, so often I think, you know, if I have thoughts that are going through my head or I'm writing stories all the time, or I just can't get my mind to quiet down, um, I'll journal. And I feel like it's giving my thoughts a home, you know, so that I can release it from my mind. And if you think about, you know, your to-do list or things that you don't want to forget to do, you kind of ruminate it about your mind. You're like, oh, I can't forget to do this. But when you write it down, you know, you, you don't necessarily think about it because it's on your to-do list. And it's like you've mm-hmm. given that that thought a home. So it's helpful for me sometimes to journal, especially if I can't seem to get my mind to quiet down through meditation or other practices. But it also, again, just like with meditation, it's like checking in, you know, writing down my thoughts and saying, like, oh, I'm, I'm really ruminating about this thing that happened. What's that about? And it's kind of like a way to work through it with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I think it seems like such a simple thing, but it takes the power away from something when you write it down. I'm going to do it, Michelle. I'm going to let you know. It does. And again, it's like a practice and sometimes it's annoying. You're like, oh, like, but it's, if you just start small and, you know, for a few minutes in the morning or before going to bed, or if you have, you know, break in the afternoon and just to like get into the habit of it, it's not as onerous as then thinking like, oh, I have to write for 30 minutes at night and then meditate for 20 minutes and then, you know, do whatever else. Cause then it gets overwhelming. You're like, I don't have time for that. So Mm -hmm. it's just really, even if you do it on your phone, like, you know, Mm -hmm. a note or something, yeah, whatever work, however it works to fit it in is the best way. I was going to say, I feel like with me, meditation would always overwhelm me. I knew I needed to do it and I need, knew I needed to give my mind a break, but it wasn't until I was diagnosed and like not working anymore and trying to heal and had like a life break that I found time because all I had was time, you know, I was kind of resting or, um, recovering. And so, um, when I got better and was kind of going back to normal life, I started having kind of anxiety. Like I want to make sure I keep this practice. So I think I had to give myself grace and say, okay, meditation might not be an hour sitting by myself with, you know, it could be taking a quick walk in the sun or having some time in the car by myself or, you know, so do you feel like, I guess my question is for meditation to feel or have its benefits, is that something that you recommend doing every day or can it be beneficial just in these little kind of spurts in quick amounts of time, you know, does it have to be a long moment in the day? We get this question a lot. And I, I think personally, I feel like if you can find even a few minutes every day, just to do it, like you would, if you were brushing your teeth or taking vitamins or whatever, just to make it a habit, that's great. But if you really can't, whatever you can do is great. And even if it's, you know, a few minutes in your car before going in somewhere, or, um, I, I want I used to go into the bathroom and sit there and just like, you know, close my eyes and just breathe for a few minutes. Like that counts too. 
Yeah. Um, I think you can make up your own rules with it so long as you kind of are making it, making a commitment to yourself and feeling like, you know, you're not cutting any corners because you just don't want to do it. Yeah. But that's good advice. You often say a lot with like the vitamin thing. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's such a good conversation because it's so amazing to me how meditation continues to have this myth around it. And maybe it's because I don't, I don't know why. No, no, maybe it's because I don't really know why, but truly meditation, meditation is the training of your attention to be in the present moment, period. It's not about stopping the thoughts from thinking. It's not about going to a place of nirvana. It's not about mm-hmm. anything else, but training your attention to be in the present moment. The mind wanders to thoughts. You bring it back to the moment. The mind wanders to another thought, you bring it back to the moment. The mind goes down a rabbit hole of regret, you bring it back to the moment. And that's all it is. And, and so I've, I've tried, this has been my life's desire to try to help people see it. It's just the training of being in the present moment. So when you're anxious or when you're just finding those moments throughout the day, um, when you're listening to your favorite song, let's say you've got the most favorite song and you crank it up in the radio in the car. What if you pulled over to the side of the road for like the three minutes that that song is on and just listen to the song. That's meditation. Yeah. What if you're walking, you're doing your daily walk and and what if you walked without music or without Mm -hmm. a headphone on for five of those minutes? Not the whole hour, not the whole time. It doesn't have to be all of that. What if you just walk with nothing and just observe, what am I thinking when I'm walking? Oh, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about nothing important. I'm thinking about the most random because awareness is the key to life. I believe when I'm aware that my mind is thinking about things that are going to happen tomorrow, or when I'm aware that my mind is ruminating about a past thing that I said to someone and I wish that I hadn't, when you're aware, then you can, then you can do something about it. Hmm. So I would love for people to understand that meditation is just the training of the mind to be in the moment. And so all day long, if you can pause for a minute, as Michelle said, I do it all the time. When I was working at McDonald's, I still own my restaurants um, after treatment. I would walk in the freezer or walk in the cool and just stand there for a minute. And <laughs> about the cold air. Yeah. And a little bit and just breathe. And just, I'd go right back out. And it just gives you a, it's like a change in perception, a perspective change. You're, you're able to now start again. I always say stop, breathe, and start again all day long. So I think all those minutes woven, but Michelle is right. It has to be consistent. You have to want to do this. You have to want to slow down. You have to want to practice being in the moment. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it ever. I'm 37 years and I'm not perfect at it ever. We're never, but it means this is my desire. And so every moment, like Michelle said, if I get anxious, I'll go to that place of being where my feet are for a minute and it changes everything. It changes mm-hmm. my whole, okay, I take a breath. I can do this. Okay. What do mm-hmm. I, what does that mean? What do I need to do in this moment right now? There was a study that was done um, that there are 1,440 minutes in a day. And if you practice mindfulness for 10% of that, which is 14 minutes a day, Weave a minute here and a minute there. I like to do, um, I like to tell people, do a couple minutes in the morning before you get out of bed. Just with a gratitude. Thank you for the gift of this new day. Just breathe and just be with yourself for two minutes in bed before you even get up. And then weave another minute, like Michelle said, I'm feeling anxious. Let me go to the bathroom and just sit for a minute. 
Let me walk outside in nature and just look up at the sky for one minute. Mm-hmm. And then before going to bed, do the same thing. Two minutes of this was a good day. This was a not so great day. What did I learn? Let me leave it all in this day and go to sleep. That Weaving that 14 minutes all throughout the day. And then the last thing I'll say on that, I was on a retreat with the Dalai Lama when Michelle was in her final year of college. And he had a question um, about meditating for hours. Like you said, I don't have an hour. I don't have this. And he said, better to meditate five minutes every day than 20 minutes or an hour once a week. It's the practice, mm-hmm. it's the consistent. I'm teaching myself how to pause and stop and slow down and begin again. That's great advice. All of that is so practical. Like such good the five minutes on the treadmill or a couple minutes in the car, you know, where we don't turn the music on. And you think those are really practical tools to get started with. And I love that you mentioned gratitude too, because I feel like when our perspective becomes present, at least that's how it is for me. I get to be a lot more, a lot more gratitude in my mind than anxiety. So, yeah, I love this. I think I like the visual of all the tabs open, you know, like it helps you like go like, how can I visually close this? Um, and so one of my next questions is kind of on, on relationships. And I think like for me personally, I think a lot of us, that's where all our tabs are open (laughs) is like, my kids, my husband, my sister, my mom, you know, it's like our friends, our work relationships. Like there's so many of those tabs that are committed to relationships. Um, so I would love to know, I know we're like cutting short on time, but some quick advice on boundaries for people. I know this is something you guys talk about a lot. I think these are really practical things for people to apply and not feel so overwhelmed by all of that relationship heaviness. So I think for me, the biggest thing that I've learned about relationships, and this has even been within the past year for myself, is just how important honest communication is. You know, I'm kind of, I tend to be a people pleaser. So I would say yes to things that I didn't want to do or do things or go Mm -hmm. along with things just to make the other person happy. And of course, we know how that goes. You get resentful and tired and drained and things like that. And it would affect my relationships. And I think when I started to communicate like, oh, I'm I'm not going to do that, but I'd love to do something this day or Mm -hmm. communicating. That's not really my kind of thing, but thanks for asking me anyways, or um, whatever it is, just starting, even if it's uncomfortable in the moment, but just really starting to communicate my needs and my boundaries and what works for me and what doesn't. And giving the other person the opportunity to do the same without me judging them or being angry with them and just starting to kind of morph my relationships into this place where there can be communication and it's not um, stressful and none of us take anything personally has kind of benefited my relationships a lot. And it's not always easy and it's a practice, but that's kind of the boundary that I've started to pick up in my life where, and a red flag too, if I notice that I can't communicate with someone really openly and honestly, then I, you know, kind of take a step back and like, okay, what's this about? Why do I feel like I can't talk to this person? Mm -hmm. And I try to sort it out with myself. And maybe that person is someone that I need to limit my interaction with. Hmm. Yeah. Being comfortable with saying no to people. I was going to say, I think I've learned that more in my thirties. Um, I still, obviously I'm still young, but you know, just to understand that I don't have to be friends with everybody and there's going to be some people that don't understand me and vice versa. And it's okay to kind of distance. It doesn't mean you're 
rude. I'm a piece of people pleaser too. I think we both are a little bit. And I used to always feel like I had to kind of be that self-sacrifice to make sure I was the friend. And, you know, so it's good advice to remember. Those are good tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I would, I would just add, cause I, I agree um, that you just said something really powerful. Um, you can't have everyone like you and you don't like everyone. My therapist, I mean, I learned that. I mean, I, I don't. You're so young. You're, you're so young. I learned, I learned that in my 32 in treatment. My first therapist said, Barb, why do you think you have to like everyone? And that, or why do you think everyone's going to like you? Do you like everyone? And I said, no. And she goes, well, no. So I think it's so key to remember that we aren't going to like everyone and not everyone has to like us. And that's just not possible that we're at, we're looking for something that's not possible and kind of get deeper and figure out what is this about? Why do I feel like I can't disappoint people or that someone's not going to like me? You do, we and I, Michelle and I just had a conversation about this the other day. And I think it's about, we don't want, you know, we don't want people to be mad at us or we don't want people to yeah. write stories about us or we don't want them to say mean things about us or whatever it is. And I think it's that whole, there's a couple things I would say that, I, and, and it's always, I think people pleasing and, and this whole relationship thing is always a work in progress and you're never coming to the end of it. I mean, I'm going to be 65 and I can say the same things that you're saying. I'm just learning how to do <laughs> um, It's wild, but it's true. And I think when you can, you can be easy and kind and gentle with yourself. But what I would say is this quote from Maya Angelou has changed my life. When oh, people know my- who they are, believe them. Mm. So we can never change any other person. And I really, this past two years has really helped me tremendously. Um, Never try to change someone else. So who they are is who they are. If they Mm -hmm. decide to change, God bless them or whatever it is. But Mm -hmm. if you think that you can marry them or or be a, a, a partner with them or you can do anything with them and you can be the impetus for their change, you can, you can only be who you are, but you cannot. So when they show you who they are, believe them. And then the other thing that has really helped me a lot is that um, I like when you love and accept and trust yourself completely, you don't take so many things as personally because it's their perspective of you and you know who you are and vice versa. I, I, I allow other people to be who they are. And if I do something, I'll, I'll say or do something. And then I'll realize, well, maybe that was a little bit harsh and I might say something to someone and they'll say, no, I didn't take it personally because I just know that's the way you are. <laughs> it's like, okay, true. So I, <laughs> true, thank you, I'm so glad. But I think that idea that just knowing that when you know who you are and where you're coming from, what, what grounded um, intention place you're coming from, you'll be aware if you've hurt somebody's feelings, or you've done something, so you go back and you make amends for it, but you don't have to say, I'm sorry for it. nothing. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, means I'm going to change the behavior. I'm really sorry I did this. So let me, let me tell you, this is what I'm going to do to fix it. Half the time, we don't need to say, I'm sorry, because most of the time there is a behavior change that's necessary. And if there is a behavior change that's necessary, that's a red flag in a, in a, in a dysfunctional relationship that has to happen. So I think it's not trying to make a relationship anything other than it is. I think we try to pretend like this is going to be okay. This is good. This is, and we, and we try to, it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. We push feelings aside. I, I put my feelings onto somebody else and want to know why they aren't thinking the same thing I am or feeling the same way. So if you just really take people at face value as to what they're saying and who they are, and if they're disrespecting you, they're disrespecting you. So mm-hmm. it's on you then to stand up and say, I, I can't take that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to come back at another time when, when we can respect each other. So it's really that. And that's why meditation and that mindfulness is so important. It's like in that moment, calling it out in the most kind way. Look, I can't, I can't proceed with this conversation with this kind of language, or I'm not feeling safe in this moment. We're going to need to readjust. Or you just always knowing, checking in with yourself, knowing how am I feeling in this moment and what's happening for me and honoring that and not trying to pretend like you're anything other than who you are, because who you are and who you show up every single day as varies. Um, who you are is the same, but how you show up every day varies and it's okay. And it's not more than okay. It is normal. I want to normalize. Mm-hmm. You're not the same every day. You're not just, mm-hmm. you just have to be okay with yourself and what you do and what you think and what you say. And if there's a problem, you become aware of it and you fix it. And then the last thing I will say is we become the company we keep. And this has been a big thing. Oh, that's a good one. That's huge. Yeah. We take on all of the, we take on the behaviors, we take on the attitudes, we take on the um, aggressions, if you want to call them that. We take on all of the things mm-hmm. with the five people we spend the most time with. So think about who you're spending so much time with. And I know we have to spend time with family members or close friends that can push our buttons, but limit it. Limit that time. Yeah. Take care I think of that's yourself. great. I think so, I like that you said we change every day, especially like Sarah and I have kind of gone through this as we've gone through our surrogacy journey together too. It's like, neither of us have done this before, mm-hmm. you know, like we can prepare as much as possible, but something that, you know, may be important to her tomorrow wasn't important today. And something that is important to me today, I don't care about tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had to give ourselves grace in that. because we're like, Hey, this is totally new for us. And so it's been something that uh, we think we've learned even more that when you say that, I'm like, yeah, I know to, to touch on that phrase that stuck out to me too, because me and my husband just recently talked about this because we've only been married six years, but we've been through a hell of a lot together, Mm -hmm. especially with my past couple of years. And obviously you change as a person when you go through something like that. And we've changed a lot in the last few years and heading into our thirties. And I saw this quote recently, we were driving in the car together and it said, um, something like a lasting commitment is not, um, I'm probably going to butcher this. A lasting commitment is not loving who you fell in love with originally, but loving all the people they become along the way. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so powerful because I'm sitting over there being, thank you for loving the, the new me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true. I think that's the same with relationships all across the board, friendships, sisters. I mean, we're so different people, you know, every decade, every year. And so that's really powerful. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I'm just loving learning from you. This is such a fun conversation for everybody. I think just like with relationships going off of what you just said, if like the baseline of of deep respect and care, you Mm -hmm. will, you know, evolve or respect the person that's evolving with you and not judge it or be turned off by it or not want to be with you. Um, because it's a deep respect um, rather than other relationships that are more surface level where it's like, Oh, well, I only liked you because you were this or that. Mm-hmm. And now you're not. Um, so true. And I think when you kind of get down into the values of, of why you're in relationships with people, you know, you respect them, you care for them, you feel good around in their presence. And those things are, you know, those don't change. And so, you know, like those are the foundations and, 
And I think you work yeah. and grow from there. That's why those relationships last. So you always absolutely. Do. I've seen people the, the relation the romantic relationships at least that I've been like, oh yikes, are the ones <laughs> where there's not that respect for one another. So I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a huge point. So I know we're wrapping up on time. I feel like we could talk to you guys for a whole day. Um, But Kathy and I, on our podcast episodes, we like to leave the guests with the last word. And um, so we want to hear from each of you individually. I love, Barb, that you mentioned the Maya quote. But um, we know that you've both had incredible mentors and people along your life journey that has really spoken into your life. So if you can think of on the fly, um, something, a quote, a saying, just a nugget of truth that a a mentor or someone in your life has really given to you that you've kept close to your heart, used along the way, and just really stuck with you. I would like to hear from each of you. And then we can end on that. Just kind of like a nugget of truth that, um, you both want to leave with the listeners. Do you want me to go first? (laughs) I have mine. (laughs) for me this is what's been coming up for me lately because I got asked this question recently and I just looked it up who said it because I had forgotten but there's a quote by um Rainier Maria Rilke that says let everything happen to you beauty and terror just keep going no feeling is final and for me that last sentence of no feeling is final mm-hmm. is everything because it's life, you know, you have bad moments and good moments and it's all very fleeting, but especially when you're in the bad moments, knowing that it's not going to last forever. I'm not going to feel this way forever. There's going to be a good moment again sometime. And I think just knowing that and kind of repeating that the no feeling is final has been really helpful for me, especially this past year. So good. Beautiful. I think I give you enough time to think of one. No, no, no. <laughs> There's so many. Because I'm so good. Going off of what you you both have said, um, you know, we are in this lifetime to grow and to evolve and to become, and we are not ever meant to stay stagnant. So there are so many quotes that that go along all the different years and decades of my life. But I think what you said, Michelle, is true. What what's been coming up for me lately and a lot in the past maybe five years or so, especially. Um, is my Angelou and, and her quote, um, forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it. Yeah. And I think forgiveness has been a huge thing in my life here lately in the past five, six, seven years. And I think it's been in, in my sphere of the teachings that I've done a lot here before the pandemic. And I have a feeling it's going to proceed even after the pandemic. So that idea that we didn't come here knowing everything. We came here to learn. And we came here to, to grow then from everything that we learned. And so I think being kind and loving and compassionate for yourself and forgiving yourself first, always forgiving at work, do the work that you need to do to forgive yourself um, because you didn't know any better that first time around, or even if it's a second or third or fourth, you've always learned something new from it. Mm-hmm. So really be gentle and loving and look at what you did learn. And then once you identify what you learned, that new teaching, then you take into your next relationship or the next moment or the next job or the next whatever it is in your life so forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know before you learned it it's been huge that's a good one yeah so really good I love leaving it on that note because it's just yes my kind of a culmination of what you guys are saying which is connect with 
connect with yourself, be gracious with yourself. And it kind of starts from there. Yeah. Um, well, we've loved learning from you guys. Can you tell people where to connect with you or any new things that are coming up that you would like to tell us about? Um, so we're on social media, Peaceful Mind, Peaceful Life. Michelle Romero's Peaceful Barb on all of the platforms. Um, what do we have coming up? We're, we're planning a lot of good stuff. We'll definitely have something big at the end of the year, like we did last year to begin the new year. Um, but now that the pandemic has, um, God willing, has started to. Yeah, really, hopefully we're on the up and up. Yeah, hopefully we're on the, on the, on the, on the we're continuing to make our way through it. Um, we're now looking at doing some more live things. We had a lot of things planned before 2020 uh -huh. had to go around the country and around the world. So we're looking at planning some retreats. Um, Michelle's been working on her book. Um, and just awesome. at, we'll have some online things coming up here in the next few months. Um, but stay tuned. One of my, I've really wanted to do some retreats, which we yeah. did. So just doing something mm -hmm. like that, plus our local things. And we're working on our own little podcast. So whenever we oh. that, you guys will have to come back. And I was going to. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys, I feel like your podcast will be on repeat on my ears, but For sure. that's good. I was wondering if you were going to do working that. on it. It's, I have yeah. to corral my mom. She gets yeah. so busy. I'm like, okay, can we carve out this amount of time to do this and not talk about anything else? Yes, you can do it. Barb. You can do it. We're saying. If these moms can figure it out, <laughs> I have much more confident confidence in you two. But yeah, I, we sure. think we think you guys are incredible, and just giving us a slice of your day has been awesome. so rewarding. Um, and it's if you come so to Nashville, fun. come yeah. to Nashville. Let us know. She's been wanting to come to Nash, go to Nashville this whole year. Wow. She's like, maybe I'll I'll just drive up there. Yeah, she's been wanting to. So for sure. I promise you, I'm going to get to Nashville before 2021 is over. I'm making Great. that. Great. <laughs> but well, it's we'll have to make for lunch. It's been a yeah, joy. Thank you. A joy. Um, and I, maybe we'll, we'll pick your brains about, because I think this podcast, um, you know, trying to keep, make it a little bit different because you're right. We all have the, the energy we come into, into our sharing and yours has just been really beautiful and just welcome mm -hmm. yeah we've loved every minute of being here with you thank you it's really been a joy and fun good well, thank you so much thank you for your time and we will um link all your info on social so people can follow along and we'll let you guys know when this publishes which will be a couple weeks and we'll email it to you hey and we are just super grateful for your time yeah. and we'll be in touch so yes let us know when your podcast goes so we can yeah we will share it around thank you Love you guys so much. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank, Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so Bye. much. Have a great day. Hey, guys. We are excited to share with you our new partnership with Your Superfoods. Not only do they have great tasting product, but they are on a mission to help improve people's health through the power of plants. I fell in love with their superfood and plant protein mixes after I was diagnosed and started my lifestyle change. One of the founders is also a cancer survivor, which is why I came across their story. I make a ton of smoothies and my daughter Charlotte loves them too. Your Superfoods is 100% plant-based, no sweeteners, no soy, no dairy, gluten-free, and non-GMO. So you can purchase with our code 
SISTER15 and you will receive 15% off your purchase, any purchase, not just your first one. So go to YourSuper.com and use the code SISTER15, S-I-S-T-E-R-1-5 for 15% off your order. Go grab your superfoods.